Anyway, our uh, second uh, reading is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Hear now the word of our Lord. When When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Judeans, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas who was called the twin, one of the twelve, he was not there with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand, put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. You see my hands? Reach out your hand and put them in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. But Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing in him you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm checking to make sure my mic is on. The summary of the gospel in its fullest sense is that God has a dream for the world's wholeness. This dream of God's is not rooted in violence or condemnation, but forgiveness and peace. And to the extent that our lives are shaped by fear or the desire for retribution, we testify that we do not understand or believe the gospel. The power of the resurrection allows us to be vulnerable, to own up to our mistakes, and to live in the midst of the brokenness of a world desperate for healing and wholeness by witnessing to it the newness of the dream of God. Okay, so it may have been the moment when he was being tortured with a crowd of prisoners watching. His arms were stretched out on an instrument clearly designed to cause a deadly amount of pain. It may have been his obstinance, his refusal to give in to the mocking, the scorns, the jeers, the persecution. He refused to allow them the pleasure of watching him give in. Of course, it may have just been because of the striking resemblance, that long, dark, wavy hair, and that they were, both had something around their head. Um, yet that's an important point of difference, see, Jesus wore a crown of thorns, but Rambo wore this silly headband. Now, I, I know his was red. It was black in the second part, right? But uh, um, when I was a kid, I just ran around and found whatever I could find, right? 
As Colonel Samuel Troutman put it, if winning means he has to die, he'll die. No fear, no regrets. Oh, and one more thing, what you choose to call hell, he calls home. I was 24 years old when I first heard the gospel story. And my imagination of Jesus then began to take shape. But I must have been seven or eight when I watched my first Rambo movie. I had one of those Rambo survival kits. You know what I'm talking about? It, you could buy it at the store. It came equipped with plastic Rambo knives and an army watch and one of those silly headbands. And I seemed to lose it all the time. That's why I'm never really sure what to think of those posters. Maybe you've seen one. There is Stallone's warrior body holding an M60 with Jesus' head photoshopped on it, halo and all. Have you seen it? My, there's lots of them, and you can find them. Search on the internet. They're quite hilarious, or maybe not. My least favorite one is the one with Jesus on it, on the crucifix, on the cross, with those humongous biceps breaking the cross just below the elbow so that he can make this mighty me bodybuilder front double bicep pose. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, how our imagination about Jesus gets shaped. How is it that we come to know what God is like, what the universe is like, what we deep down are really like? If we're honest, maybe Rambo is closer to what many people believe about Jesus despite what the Gospels say about him. If we look at what the Gospels actually tell us about the resurrected Jesus, what we find couldn't be more different. While they lifted him up on a cross, his last words were not curses of angers or promises of divine retribution. There was no Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, to add a... To a, a different uh, action drama. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. After the resurrection, his first words were not, this isn't over. He said, peace be with you. And he showed his disciples his pierced hands and his wounded side. I've said in as many ways as I can, as often as I could, that I believe the gospel is about God's dream for the wholeness of creation. The world is broken in desperate need of forgiveness and is longing to know how to be at peace, to see what real peace looks like. For Jesus' disciples, they ultimately came to believe that the power that would save the world was not a warrior Rambo God, but a community centered around the teachings of a wounded healer, a wounded peacemaker. Rambo Jesus is just one example of what is commonly known as the myth of redemptive violence. We find it in cartoons, superhero movies, action movies, even in dramas that extend back thousands and thousands of years. The theologian Walter Wink traces this myth back to the Babylonian creation story from around 1250 BCE. It goes further than that, but this is a really important one because it's the one that was recorded in the Babylonian creation myth, the Enuma Elish. I don't know exactly how to pronounce Enuma Elish, but in the beginning, the Babylonian myth tells us that there was a divine couple, Apsu the father and Taimat the mother. Now, you may know this if you got it in college or high school, but this couple, see, they gave birth to all the other gods, but these gods were unruly and they kept their parents from sleeping. I know exactly what that's like. And so all hell breaks loose at home. 
And the youngest member, Marduk, he's been crowned chief. He catches Taimut, the mother, who is portrayed as the dragon of chaos in a net. And he uses an evil wind to blow her up like a balloon and then pops her. Out of the explosion results what comes to be everything in the chaos, everything in the cosmos. Everything you see, the whole world around you, is part of this carcass of a god of chaos, the Babylonian dragon, Taimon. According to Enuma Elish, creation is the result of violence. The gods are violent, evil precedes good, and the only way to bring order from chaos symbolized again by the dragon Taimut, is through violence. Walter Wink explains, the implications of the Babylonian creation myth are clear. Human beings are created from the blood of a murdered God. Our very origin is violence. Killing is in our genes. Humanity is not the originator of evil, but merely finds the evil already present and uh, perpetuates it. Our origins are divine, to be sure, since we're made from a god, but it's from the blood of an assassinated god, and we are the outcome of deicide. You probably don't know this. Maybe you do know this. Maybe some of you are more biblical savvy than I am, but I didn't know this until I went to seminary, that our story in Genesis is diametrically opposed to this. Our in-the-beginning story, if you didn't know this, was actually written during the Babylonian captivity. And it stood as the Jewish rebuttal to the Enuma Elish. Try reading the creation story from that perspective. The myth of redemptive violence, here is the story. It's the story of order over chaos by means of violence. It's the ideology of conquest, the original religion of the status quo, The gods favor those who conquer. The common people exist to perpetuate the advantage advantage that the gods have conferred on the king, the aristocracy, and the priesthood. Peace through war, security through strength. These are the core convictions that arise from this ancient historical religion. And yet our Genesis story tells us that everything came into being by a word. Not a violent dueling match between parents and their children. The word of a God who said, let it be, and it is. And God says, it is good. What's interesting to me, though, is how much this sounds, how much this myth of the redemptive violence, this Murduk Murduk and his mom and this blowing of the balloon, this Enuma Elish, what's interesting to me is that this sounds so much like what many Christians believe about the world. God, this warrior alpha male like Murduk or Rambo, will ultimately rescue the world by destroying his enemies. The world is, and ultimately human communities are, inherently violent. And it's been this way from the beginning. And the only way to end this violence is to cause more violence. When the ancient Western empires succeeded in killing their enemies, remember, they praised their war deities. Ares, Mars, Odin, Thor, Indra, and so on. And you know, one of my deepest fears is that you could just substitute any number of these with the name Jesus and many Christians would not know the difference. Ares, Mars, Marduk, Rambo, Jesus. 
With the Easter tradition, however, it turns this myth of redemptive violence on its head. The resurrection of Jesus tells the story of violence being interrupted, not with violence, but with peace. Instead of responding to brokenness with more brokenness, the resurrection brings healing and wholeness. It shows what peace and forgiveness look like in action, literally in the flesh. This morning, we have a story of Jesus who comes in the midst of a gathered community. It's a community fearing for their lives. And the wounded and crucified body of Jesus comes speaking words of peace to them. Did the disciples imagine that Jesus was revealing to them a God who should be worshipped because of his power and his might? In our text this morning, the resurrected Jesus comes to them in weakness, showing his wounds. See my hands, he said. Touch my side, he said. Most of us, we hide our wounds, don't we? Our scars. We have fancy surgeries or buy extra makeup or get whatever that thing and make sure that we have our clothes long enough to hide our scars from each other. They're signs to us of weakness. But Jesus speaks to his disciples, peace be with you. And he wasn't hiding his wounds. He had them on display for the whole world to see. The 13th century Franciscan teacher, John Dunn Scotus, he put it this way. Jesus' aim wasn't to change God's mind about us in spite of our violence. It was to change our mind about God. Jesus' wounds show us in spite of our violence that God is loving. And the world is the result of the bursting forth of the limitless love of God. A God who is revealed in the message of wounded flesh. The world is broken in desperate need of forgiveness. But that's not because of God, it's because of us. And that broken world that's longing out there to know how to be at peace, to see what peace really looks like. Our gospel lesson tells us this morning that Jesus came and offered his wounds. As our gospel lesson tells us, Jesus' disciples ultimately came to believe that the power that would save the world was not a warrior Rambo Marduk God, but a community centered around the teachings of a wounded peacemaker. I'm always struck, though, by one phrase in the text that we read this morning. Jesus is showing them his wounds, the result of what the powers had done to him, and he says to them, peace be with you. He says it actually three times. But then he says something that shakes me to my core. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I always read that and I think to myself, what? Is he joking? I mean, after this violent thing that the world has done to him, after being on a cross and being dead for three days, Jesus is now standing with his disciples, showing his wounds, and he says, just as God has sent me, I am sending you. He's sending his disciples into a world knowing what they will do to him, them? What? Can you be serious? Did Jesus really expect that of his followers? See, I believe that God's dream for the world is forgiveness, peace, and wholeness. And the disciples were sent to interrupt this violence in the world, not with weapons, but with the wounded heart of God. And just as Jesus was able to offer himself to the world in spite of what the world did to him, 
He sends his followers out to offer that same forgiveness to the world as witnesses to what peace and wholeness actually look like. Now, I'm not asking you to be crucified or to be uh, people who seek to be crucified. I think studying the martyrs might be something good for the church to do, but what I'm asking you is to take the initiative to be what Jesus was, someone who was willing to be vulnerable with others, to be vulnerable with each other, to learn to be vulnerable with the world. In order to be a part of the drama of God's love unfolding in the world, Jesus' followers are called to go out and offer themselves. Instead of violence, we offer, vulner offer vulnerability. Instead of fear, we offer forgiveness. As we see the wounds of the broken world around us, we're reminded that we're looking at the wounds of Christ. We're reminded that God's dream is to bring healing to that world. We're able to be human to engage the world and those that we have been told that we're supposed to hate. Perhaps even those we have been told are our enemies. And instead of coming at them with retribution or violence, we offer them redemptive healing, forgiving love. That love that Jesus bore witness to. So, the summary of the gospel and its fullness is that God has a dream for the world's wholeness. And that this dream of God is not rooted in violence or condemnation, but forgiveness and peace. The world is broken, in desperate need of forgiveness, and it's longing to know how to be at peace. To see what real peace looks like. Can we be that? For Jesus' disciples, they came to believe that the power that would save the world was not a warrior God, but a community centered around the teachings of a wounded peacemaker. Can we be like them? Can we learn to center ourselves around Christ, willing to endure, to enter into the wounded heart of God, to be empowered to offer ourselves for the healing of the world? May it be so. Amen.